Listener Production. You are listening to episode 187 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring English superstar Stuart Broad. Just before we roll, Artist Series episode 20 from May 9, 2023, featured cricketer and singer Henry Alonga. Now, many of you were blown away by Henry's episode. Good news, because you can now listen to more of Henry's story in great detail as Henry has released an audio book titled Blood, Sweat and Treason, his voice, his story. It is a magnificent thing. Do yourself a favour. All righty, let's get to it. Stuart John Broad, Part B. Next thing we move on to, you talked about as a young man, you're a batsman. I always like the Barmy Army songs. Um, you can tell it better to me, but the one about he's big, he's bad, and he's better than his dad, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> how's how's yeah, it going? <laughs> I think it's, uh, he's big, he's bad, he's better than his dad, Stuart Broad. <laughs> he's bad, he's than his dad, Stuart Broad, Stuart Broad. He's big, he's bad, he's better than his dad, Stuart Broad. It's better than the Aussies one for me, what's that? What's that? Brody, Brody, dude, looks like a lady, <laughs> Brody. <laughs> so you mentioned your dad, August 2010, you made 169 with the bat. Doesn't go for a boundary, but Broad doesn't mind at all. What a way to go to your Test 100. What a place to get your first Test 100. The home of cricket. Out is the call. And so a great knock comes to an end. But uh, the session in the arena belongs to Stuart Broad. A wonderful effort with the bat. 169. You came in at 702. Your dad's highest score was 162. I, I, I want to know about the phone call or the text message after. Did you say to dad, dad, I've passed you? Did you know his top score? I, I did know his top score, but I wasn't thinking about that when I was out there at Lords. But I, I hit, a, I hit a, um, a three and I got to the other end. And I think, I can't remember who the umpire was. It might have been Maria Erasmus, me. And he said, you know what's just happened there? I was like, go on. He goes, You've gone past your dad with a big <laughs> smile on his face. And I was, I was like, oh, yeah, quality, that's great. Um, and actually, I think maybe, I think dad talks about that as being the moment he knew he was going to flip to Stuart Broad's dad okay. rather than um, Chris Broad's son. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, ultimately it was a very strange experience, that test match. Ultimately ended up being a bit of, uh, well, that was when the sort of news of the world got hold of yes. all sorts of stories and stuff. So, but... Um, that feeling of of getting a hundred at Lords was just just. Is, uh, people always say, "Oh, what's what's a better feeling, hundred or five for?" And I love the fact I can answer it. Yeah, well, you know, I, right. I love the fact that's I can go, right. "Oh, well, yeah." yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but you know, it was a yeah, a bit of a bit of a surprise to to us all getting a hundred. But it was um, no doubt one of the greatest feelings ever. We move from there, so you're starting to get towards you know, being a dominant test cricketer. Um, 2013 Ashes, the incident, you're on 37. I think a lot of people forget about the catch that Australia had burnt two reviews. So Australia had got themselves in a position where they couldn't rely on the review. Um, you edged it, you left the umpire to make his decision, which is the game, Stuart. Yeah! Oh, he's gone this time. Not the best delivery. And he's still there, Stuart Broad. What's he standing there for? They've all appealed. It looked as if he just nicked it through the keeper. 
Oh my goodness me. Speechless. The audacity of him just walked up the pitch and had a word with his non-striking batter. I listened to some press conference today of it and KP was 100% in your corner. It's up to the umpire. Peter Siddle, to be honest, was in your corner. But the not so much – well, you can tell me about the incident itself, but what is it like then to have to go and perform when you have a, then a target on your back and you are you, – you're public enemy one, number one for a period of time. Like Darren Lean was coach of Australia. Um, he called you a cheat. He said when he got out to Australia, he hoped, I think he said something about he hoped you'd cry and go home. Like it, it was unusual. It, it, but So what's it like, mate, dealing with the fact you're on then on the front page of the paper in – well – in this country, in a negative light, in England, I'm sure it was, well, he let the umpire make the decision, which is the rules of the game. Yeah, um, I suppose you used the great word for it, unusual. But I, to be honest, I, I, I look back at that 2013-14 Australia trip and the result didn't go away, but I, I loved it as an experience for me because um, ultimately I'm not a walker. So I'm not going to... I got a fine edge. It hit um, Hadz's glove and went to slip. Even to the extent where Hads asked me, did you nick that after? Did he? So it was, a, it was a fine edge off his thumb to slip. So the only thing that annoys me about the whole thing is when people go, you nicked it to slip. Because I didn't nick it to the keeper, he dropped it. Yeah. Um, but um, I've never been a walker. So actually, you know, and I can think, I could only think of one, one genuine walker I've played with my whole career. And that would be Graham Swan. Because um, he basically hit it to cover anyway, so you can't stand there for that. But uh, well, I'm with you, mate. I can he, think of Gilly. That's it. That's the only one I can think of. So that's two yeah. in for me. Forty years of watching cricket. Yeah, and and that series actually, I think. Well, even that Test match had a nick the ball uh, for the last wicket with 15 to win. Stood there. We had to review it, given out. So I don't see the difference mm. necessarily, um, apart from mine made a bit of a, a news story and, and how I how I feel about that is if I'd have walked off there ultimately I'd have lost my country a test match because I got 60 odd yes so another 30 runs we lost by, we won by 15 runs yes um, me and Belly put on runs after that um, and why would I not let the umpire make a decision especially when the review system's there that you know players have to be tactical with how they use that so they don't burn through them um and i'm a tough competitor i'm not just gonna like wander off and that's not me saying that gilly wasn't a tough competitor but but i i just i just it's not ingrained in me or the players that have influenced me to wander off i don't like if i got home in the shin and i think it's out i'm not just gonna walk, walk off am i mm. You know, why don't bat, why don't batters walk for LBWs if they walk for Knicks? Mate, I'm um, with you. I, I'm with you. How, so, how, how did you deal with the – well, then you had to come out to Australia. Well, you, you know, like how, how did you deal that with – That was unreal. That, honestly, that that was uh, – I, I had to prep for it, honestly. Did I, you? I, I knew how, so how that, do you prep for it, Brody? Especially the Gabba. Um, I, I spent a bit of time with a team psychologist, like working out sort of strategies to deal with it because ultimately if I, if I took it to heart – and started like looking at people in the crowds and listening to what they were saying to me one on one it would have killed it would have killed me it would mm. have been it probably would have left crying um <laughs> so i practiced in our warm up games i walked around the grounds um on my own or sometimes with a psychologist because in the warm up games in leading into an ashes series you get a, a little bit of a crowd but not obviously 40,000 
which is better because you get, you might get someone going, Brody, you're a cheat. But I can hear it and I can train myself to then react to that. So I was training my brain to feel the lighter side of that rather than the dark side of that. So when, when someone's going, Brody, you're a cheat, mate. I wasn't going, oh, that makes me really angry. I was going, cool, like, have a great day. Like smiling, so trying to like train my brain that I could smile at when I get abuse. Uh, and, and there's no doubt that all the practice I did for prepping my brain to get steely to it, the booze at the Gabba shocked me. Did it that? was like, wow, yeah, that's like proper loud. But again, it wasn't like scary. I didn't go, oh my God, like the booze are unbelievable. I went, wow, like that's pretty cool. Like there's a lot of people <laughs> having a go at me there. Um, and I, I've never forget walking down to Fine Leg um, and I'd, I'd settled, I'd got a couple of wickets, so I'd sort of settled in the day a little bit and just looked at this sea of sun-drenched Aussies, like some with KFC buckets on, some with like watermelons on their head, some with sun hats. <laughs> and they were just singing, they were just singing, I won't swear, but that Brody's a W, like or constantly, thousands of them. And I, I, in my own brain, I was going, not many people in the world can say they've had thousands of people just singing directly at them that you're a W. And honestly, the worst bit about it, I, got, I actually ended up getting five for it yes. that day, which was a, a, it was a great feeling. But I got back to my room that night and I was making a cup of tea and I was whistling Brody's a... <laughs> so we got in your head, but we didn't get in your head. <laughs> yeah, it's just going like... And I'm like, what am I doing? Um, and ultimately, I think because I did, like, I, I didn't shy away from it. I, like, fronted it and I, like, still attacked the Aussies and I still tried to be my competitive self. Ultimately, by, by MCG-ish, it, it calmed. And people were a bit, like, more chilled towards it. It was like, oh, good to see that you've come and, like, you know, embraced it a little bit and... Um, and I think I had a nice moment on Christmas Eve in Melbourne. I was walking around with my mum and uh, we're near the Botanical Gardens and this fella's walking towards me. I've got, cap, I've got a cap on, walking with my mum. This fella's walking towards me with one of those yellow T-shirts that says Stuart Broad's a, a shit bloke. <laughs> All right. I could bleep that out. Um, I think, oh, no, like, not with my mum. Like, don't start abusing me here. And... Uh, He's, he's, he stopped, he, he's like on his phone, like looking, 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 looks a bit sort of dis, like a bit lost. He goes, oh, excuse me, mate. So I'm thinking, here we go. He goes, uh, do you know where the park is? I'm like, yeah, just over there. Oh, cheers, buddy. Off he went. <laughs> so he's wearing a T-shirt. He's wearing a T-shirt with my name on it. Sam, I'm a shit bloke. No idea who I am. No idea. Hasn't even looked twice at me. And I like, watched him walk across the road. He didn't even look back and go, oh, God, what's that? <laughs> so he's bought a T-shirt. He's probably spent 30 bucks on this T-shirt. No idea who I am. And just strolled off. So um, I, I think that helped me sort of like, that helped me settle in as if like, you know, they're sports fans. No one really cares if I didn't walk. It's just a bit of like yes. wholesome banter that yes. everyone's getting involved in. So we get to 2015, mate. You mentioned it before. So I, I watched this again on YouTube. I can remember watching it in the spare room here because my... I reckon this is 2015, 
my little bloke was up, couldn't get him to bed. He was probably two at the time. I thought, oh, I'll watch a bit of cricket here. And then I, I came back. So I was trying to put him to bed and it might have taken me 15 minutes and we're all keyed up for the start of the test match and I come back and Australia's like six for 22 or something. You ended up taking eight for 15 off 9.3 overs. I just run through it. Rogers, zero. Oh, there you are. Line and left. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Smith, six. Bold. There you are. Thank you very much. Marsh, zero. Catch. There you are. Simple as that. They just cannot play against the moving ball. Clark, ten. Oh, out. Oh, what a catch. What a brilliant catch. England on fire. Vote just one. I think that's when I came out when Voges got out. Johnson 13. And that's another one. And it's the same kind of dismissal that's characterised the whole of this appalling Australian batting performance. Start one. Oh, can you believe it? Complete repeat performance. Lion nine. All caught behind or caught in the cordon. Gutch, simple as that. And eventually Stuart Broad has got a rich reward. He deserves it. Absolutely deserves it for all the other wickets he got early on against the top-class batsman. To get to tailender outlier, nothing special there. But for him, it's been a special day. Have you bowled better than that? Or, like, I, I, I guess you can't match an occasion like that. A home Ashes test, your home ground, series on the line. I guess for an occasion it, it can't be beaten, but... That was bloody amazing. I'm not sure I was that pumped about it at the time, Brody, but I can look back at it now and understand how good it was. I, I've bowled, I, I think I have bowled better, and that's the weird thing about cricket. You yes. Can have, you can bowl great and end up with one wicket, or you can bowl okay. Um, but I, I look back on that day with, obviously, gr- great pride and great memories. Home ground. Um, the Weirdly, you know, I wanted to bat on the pitch. It's my home ground. I've played there loads. And um, it's a bit of sunshine Pitch has got grass, but but not. So my view on Trent Bridge is it condensed first day, then hardens up, and then nips quicker and becomes more nickable the next day. Yes. So I'm like Cookie, honestly, like this is a bat first, honestly, honestly, honestly. And uh, he's going, I think I'm going to bowl. I'm not. Like, oh, I'm not sure. And I was marking my run up out, and Warney walks towards me, who's just the biggest bat first man in the world, isn't he? Just he is. always, he always is. was bat first, you know. So. Um, he comes up to me and go. He just looks at me. and Goes, "Hey, Roddy." I was like, "Hey, goes." He goes, "Cool, that's a bowl first, isn't it?" I was like, "Ooh, if he thinks that." So I'd like run over to Cookie. Oh, Cookie, Cookie. Um, you know what? Yeah, I think it could, could be a bowl. You know, could be a bowl. Could be a bowl. So Warney's um, cost us the bloody just... ashes. The king has. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, we uh, we bowled, and it was it was just one of those days. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not a religious man, I've, uh, but. I feel like fate or something just looked after me a little bit that day. You know, we had a a three-minute bit of rain before we went out that just spiced the Mm. pitch up a little bit. The ball seemed the perfect bat width. It was just seeming that half bat width, which would bring the nick. We took some great catches. um, And it was my home ground, so I felt so comfortable there. You know, I've bowled thousands of balls there. I just felt so calm and in a rhythm. Um, And I actually loved... uh, I've heard Darren Lehman talk about what he was doing as a coach in in the changing room. Yeah. And he said it was as near to, to feeling like 
one of those guys on the in the aeroplane door when the military had used parachuting out, you know, stood by the changing room door going, go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was magical. And, and I, I can't remember loads from from like the feeling because ultimately you get a wicket, you're right, who's in next, right, what's the plan, Tim? I'm going to try and do this, try and do that, try and do that. But I do remember making a cup of tea at quarter to one, so 15 minutes still to go. And I sipped the tea while Cookie hit Stark through the covers and I thought, we've won the toss and bowled and I'm drinking a cup of tea before lunch. Wow. What on earth has just happened? Um, and then I think what made, to be honest, what made the day is Rooty then got 100. Yeah. So if we'd have been bowled out for 70, it then takes the shine off it. But for us to then get like 380 or something was, was, was awesome. Um, and that day, I mean, I just I don't see how that day can ever be beaten in my career. I just, it's just home ground, all my family there, eight for with the ashes on the line. It's um, yeah, it's a, it's a day that I'll forever hold very close. I think. Back to Stuart shortly. Pineapple and pizza, green and gold, Warren and McGrath. They just go together like Broad and Anderson. You are listening to Stewie. So if you haven't. I'd advise you to go back and listen to Jimmy on episode 142. I feel privileged to have been able to play this game for so long. Like, I have worked hard at my game and my fitness, but you need a lot of luck. Like, as a bowler, to be able to play as much as I have is, is ridiculous. And, and to, be, to have the injuries that I've had as well, uh, which, is, which is not many, really, considering what other people go through. Mm. I just feel privileged for, about that. And uh, I'm in a good place. Um, physically, mentally, I can I can still cope with the pressure and still enjoy the pressure, still enjoy competing, and it's a, an incredible game as well. Test cricket's the easily easily the best format of of cricket for me. Uh, just what it does to you as a as a person, um, like the, the the emotions you go through in over five days, just you can't replicate that in any walk of life. I don't think. The ups and downs of it, the sleepless nights, it's just, it's all worth it when you get that victory at the end. So, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate and just want to keep going. That is Jimmy Anderson on episode 142 of the show. Let's get back to Brody. So we're, we're talking about 2015, mate, um, and, and you've, you've mastered your craft at that point, you're still going as 2023 now. You're going into another Ashes series. Talk, and I had this conversation with Jimmy and he was telling me about hamburgers early on and cutting that out. But how have you achieved, you know, when you and Jimmy started your career, if someone said to you, you're going to play 162 tests at this stage, it's it's unfathomable for a fast bowl. Like it's yeah. it's off the charts. It's, it's, it's 70 test matches beyond where anyone would think you probably get. In your mind, apart from hard work and natural athleticism, how have you achieved it? Yeah, I think because um, I had injuries yes. as a, uh, in my 20s. You know, I, uh, probably until I was 25, 26, I didn't quite get it. I, I, um, and I think it probably takes that amount of time to figure out what works for you. So I used to, do, I used to squat uh, and I'd get really stiff hips and I'd stiff back. So at 25, I was like, right, that's it. I'm not squatting not going to lift heavy squats because I just, I'm, I'm six foot six. It just doesn't feel like a natural position for me to get in. So I started doing a lot more, um, 
you know, lunges, uh, a lot more body weight stuff. But for me, if I if I could account it to one thing, looking looking back on my career, that's helped me ultimately as a fast bowler. Yes, you got to deliver the ball, but your job is running. You got to run. You got to be able to stride. And if I had any criticism of the new age coming through, it gets quite gym heavy. And for me, I want my body to be used to what I do. So mm. I have to run. Mm. I have to stride. That doesn't mean I sprint all the time, but I, d- I do 50-yard shuttles. Uh, I do long, a bit of longer distance running, n- never up to like 15K or anything, but just a long plod. Because ultimately, my bones need to know that I'm going to come and put weight through them. Um, you know, I think it was it nine, ten times your body weight goes through your bones every every ball. So if I'm not running, and then I'm thinking I can run in hard and whack the pitch, well, my body's just going to get a huge shock. I don't know, you know. So if I could, if I started again, if I was eighteen now, I would one hundred percent do shuttles and run because I need to tell my legs that this is your job. And you have to get used to that impact all the time. Because one of the hardest things about bowling, and that's why I think Aussie bowlers get get it uh, tough. When I look back at like the Gabba, mm. soft outfield, rock hard pitch. So your your body is suddenly going soft, soft, soft. So it makes adjustments for a soft outfield. Then bang onto like a rock hard pitch. Um, so running running for me is something that I, I probably started doing more of from twenty five onwards. And and it seems to have touch wood hold my held my body pretty true. Are you a are you a fanatical diet man? Are you keep an eye on it? Are you just eat what you want because you're a lucky chap? But how do you go about that? No, no, I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm not a big diet man. I think. Um, I think. You know, ultimately, I think an Ashes Test match. You as a bowler, you average fifty two k in a test. Is that what you? Is that what you cover? I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Fifty two k. And so, what? What? What of that would be sprinting, Stewie? Like, what? What is that? In uh, obviously, a lot of that's walking. Yeah. A lot of that's walking. Yeah. You know, fine leg to fine legs, especially if Steve Smith. Fifty two k though. Um, that's a lot, isn't it? So it's it's ten. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I didn't. I never appreciated that. So, mate. so yeah. I mean, I, I um, I, I love I love a beer. I love a glass of red. I'm I'm not someone who cuts out um major things like that I, I i've got to be honest i try and stay away from desserts and sugar and stuff like that like, that's not something that really floats my boat but mm. um i've got a bit of a theory that if you like a glass of red you can't do both you can't have dessert and a glass of red mm. you know it's got to be a bit of a choice somewhere um but i do I, you know i think it's so important particularly after tours you have a break mentally so there's times that um, you need to switch off and go on holiday and do whatever you want and, and eat whatever you want. But when we're around the group, um, especially on tours, the foods that's put on for us, it, it's all pretty good. So it's, it's not as if you, you can binge on, on nonsense and, and feel bad. But ultimately for me, getting the right fuelings very important because we do put some miles into the legs during games. If you don't eat enough, you're gonna, your energy levels are going to drop off so rapidly so actually it's it's forcing more down me um it's probably it's probably the hardest thing for me to do because um around bowling the last thing you can think of is getting another protein shake down you or like eating a big lunch when you know you've got to go and bowl a seven over spell in 20 minutes but but if you don't you're going to cramp and you're going to you're going to speed's going to drop off majorly so I, i think for me it's not so much exactly what i put in my body i just because you know, everyone, I'd be lying to you if I said I'm very strict, and the lads would listen to it and be like, 
what? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I love having a beer in the change room. Even, you know, if someone gets a fiver in a day, I'm not someone who won't drink for the whole test match. I'll have a beer because those moments you don't get back, no. you know. So, um, but it doesn't mean I'll have 15, you know. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I just celebrate a moment. But, um, yeah, ultimately we're not Olympic sprinters. We don't, uh, what I love about our sport is we're judged on our skill more than our physical capabilities. Yes. So um, that means you can you can enjoy um, the odd beer with your teammates because a team sport is so important to gel and, and connect uh, without it being hugely de- detrimental to what happens the next day or the next day. As I say, that doesn't mean for anyone listening that we sit there and have six pints each night. No. But I just think it's important to... to to create memories within your group. And then, you know, if someone goes and gets a, an Ashes Fifer and you just get the team bus and go back to your room, you know, your teammate ultimately is going to feel a bit flat. Is Lords the best feed in world cricket? Every cricketer here, while we're talking about diet, seems to say Lords is the number one. Is Lords is the number one? And what's the one you can't go past when they bring out a dish at lunchtime? You think, oh, geez, I, I need to hit that. Lords consistently is. It's like dining in a, a fine restaurant. Is it? You know, you, you get up there, you, you've got prawns, you've got uh, a choice of a chalk menu that you can choose from. Wow. Um, and it's one of those, what if I've been playing there now since 06? I played a lot of tests there and I, not one stage have I got bored of it. <laughs> so we have the two, three training days, we have the five days and not once have I gone, ugh. Don't really fancy lunch today. It's just got a, it's got an amazing feel to it. And I could imagine the guys that come over with the Aussie team, if they're lucky enough to play once, twice, must just be going, wow. They like, rave about it, so mate. Cool. They, they, that's like, the best part of their whole yeah. tour is having lunch at Lord's. <laughs> yeah. But, but I must admit, not just because I'm on an Aussie podcast, but... At the Adelaide Oval's oh. got this sort of plum chicken Chicken thing. and plum sauce. We get it in the media centre, Brody. Oh, how good. Uh, uh, honestly, that, it's, one of those, um, it's one of those dishes that you just hope you're batting for, you know, like, just so you can fully, like, settle in and just, just go for it. Um, but, yeah, that uh, if you had to say, right, pick one dish from around the world, the Adelaide Oval would be me. We need to come here for another Ashes, mate. Um, the discussion, and it, we, we've, I've tried to say test match specific away from the Ashes particularly, but obviously last time there was so much made about your results versus David Warner and you got him out seven times in, in that test series and he never really got firing. Was it, a, was it a plan that you saw someone else do? Was it something just came up to go um, attack him around the wicket and do things differently it was obviously tremendously successful. How, how did it come to fruition? Because it, it's, you know, there's Ash's folklore. That, that's Ash's folklore, broad, knocking over Warner constantly. Oh, got him! Warner gone for three. Stuart Broad celebrating. Well, this is the contest. David Warner against Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad's had him four times in the series. Oh, out, 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 out. 
beautifully bowled seven times he's got one um, I've got to be conscious here because hopefully I'm going into battle with him for a few few weeks so I don't want to give too much well, away don't, but, give, don't give your secrets it, it, away it was a lot of research, to be honest. Was it? It, was, um, it? It was a lot of planning because ultimately I looked at it and I've played against him since 2013, home and away. He's always hurt me. You know, I'm a taller bowler that gets bounce. He's a shorter batter, sits on the back foot and punches it through cover point and scores boundaries. Strike rate's unbelievable. And I, I, I had to come up with a different type of plan because ultimately if I was just looking for his outside edge all the time, I'm sort of feeding his strength. And yeah, there's times when you have to dangle the carrot at someone's strength to see if you can get him out. But he, I find him really difficult to bowl at. To be honest, I just, I just, I just really struggled against him. So I, I did a lot of research. I had a lot of time in 2019. If you remember, it was the Cricket World Cup beforehand, yes, and then the Ashes didn't start till August. Yes. So I was in match modes for Nottinghamshire, but I was able to sort of work on things leading in. Whereas this year, it's come quick. You know, we start of June and and in we go. Um, and I came up with a completely different plan, which I'll be able to tell you about over a beer, um, where the numbers line up after I've played against him. Save it. Save it. Here's Broad. Done! A huge edge bast and roar greets the first wicket for Broad, and it's Warner. It's that man against Stuart Broad, the 15th time that he's got David Warner in test match cricket but basically I got a bit lucky because the pitches were tired from 2019 World Cup so they were dry so the balls I was looking to bowl were seeming off the dryness with the brand new ball and keeping a bit low so it brought the stumps into play a lot more than it would do normally and it may be more than it will do this summer Um, so I got a bit lucky on that front and that's one of the hardest things about Ashes cricket because I got him three in a row then there's no hiding place. No. We've got we've got ten knocks, and I'm I've got the new ball every time, and he's coming out every time. And as a bowler, the, you know, as a bowler, if someone just keeps getting hundreds, you just like you just go fair play, well played. But as a bowler, if you're getting the batter out, it's a story. You know, if 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 Warner gets five hundreds in a row, it'll be always oh, he's, he's nailed the England bowling attack. Yes. It won't be me. Yes, it's a good point. Whereas. If I get him out three in a row, I'm nailing him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, there's sort of no hiding place for him and it's an all-win situation for me, <laughs> really. And, uh, and, uh, um, and we've, you know, I think, to be honest, we shared, a, we shared a glass of red in Hobart and I think both of us thought, well, we won't, we won't be in battle again. Um, so it's great that we're both, we're both in, in and around this series. But the, the biggest compliment I can pay him is... I had to change my whole style of bowling aimed at his style of batting. And it worked for one series. And a bit in Oz, I got him at Sydney and, and Hobart uh, when I played. So um, it worked for, for that series. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously delighted it did because it was very structured what I looked to do. You kindly told me you'd listen to a couple of episodes of the show so you might realise that uh, my kids ask a question of the guest, Brody, whoever is most engaged in the guest. Now, my young bloke loves his cricket. Loves his cricket. Yeah. He's been uh, the last week's been, um, and I know you've become a father, so this is all ahead of you. Um, and congratulations to you and your partner. Just watching the World Test Championship with him for a couple of hours—it's um, it's a fantastic way to spend some time. 
with with your young fella or your daughter. Um, my son is yeah. more into cricket. So his name is Mac Brody. He's 11, but he rolls as the Big Penguin. That's his nickname. The Big Penguin, like it. Are you prepared for the question for the, the Big Penguin? Of course. Hey, Stuart, Big Penguin here. First off, good luck in the Ashes. I hope you get a heap of wickets, but still let Australia win. Please. <laughs> anyway, I've seen you bowling against David Warner, who's a left-hander, and you get him in a lot of trouble. I'm a left-hander too. I really wouldn't want to face you. <laughs> anyway, who do you think would be the best batsman you've ever bowled to? Great question. The best batsman I've ever bowled... I mean, there's a, there's a couple. Um, I think for, for genuine output of runs, Steve Smith is, is right up there. I feel like I've... I feel like I've bowled the most at him. I feel like I've run in a lot <laughs> bowling at him and just getting like nothing back. It's like bowl, bowl. Um, but to be honest, probably the batter that um, I struggle with the most, two of them, Marcus Truscothic was right. one. Right. You know, England opening batter, yeah. played for Somerset. He just had an amazing ability. Like as a young, I was a young sort of mid-20s thinking I was a bit quick. I could bump him, he'd lift me over the keeper bowl outside of stump, he'd run me down to third man, clip me, he'd hit me straight, and I was just like, wow, where do I bowl to this guy? Um, and the one I have the biggest w- wish I could bowl at him now vibes at is Graham Smith. Right. I just, I just, I honestly, every time I played against him, I could not bowl at him. I just, <laughs> I just, I bowled over the wicket and I looked to swing it back because there was always that sort of theory in English cricket. Oh, if you swing it back early to him, he get he can miss it and he'll get LBW. Well, only I only ever saw Matthew Hoggard do that to him. I don't think I ever saw anyone else hit him on the shin. But we tried it for eight years, trying to swing it back. And he just used to crunch me through mid-wicket. Um, and a bit like I bowled a bounce with Matty Hayden when I first started and I thought I was like a young, quick 20-year-old and he whacked me in front of mid-wicket and I thought, oh my God, like he's picked up on that so quick. <laughs> Graham Swift was exactly the same. Like you'd bowl a bouncer and he'd just tap it on its head and it would just make you feel like you were bowling 70 miles an hour. But with, with Graham Smith, I would love to have had a go at him. Now I've got the skills I've got that were aimed at Warner yep. of coming round the wicket and dinking the ball away because he didn't really drive through extra cover and I would have taken that shot through mid-wicket off him and looked to bring his outside edge in. So I, I feel like he hurt me massively for my whole career, Smith, and I had no answers. Um, whereas I feel like now I'd like to have a crack and see how that would go. But um, So Graham Smith, Triscothic, Steve Smith. We typically finish this part of the podcast the same way, Brody, and it's been outstanding to chat with you. And I know Australians are going to listen to this and they're going to go, oh, no. Oh, no, I really like this Stuart Broad, which is going to mess with a lot of heads. It's going to mess, which is why I wanted to do it, because I knew that would be the end result, and it fills me with the joy that that will be the case. You've achieved so much, Broady, and I'm sure there's a lot to come for you. Um, If you had to give any advice to to the youngsters listening to the show now that you've learned about what's required to achieve success, and you're a father now, which you'll understand the extra weight of the question, becoming a young father, what advice would you give? The best advice I've ever had was my school coach, uh, a guy called Frank Hayes, who played for Lancashire in England for nine tests. And he said to me, and it, the, the, actually the information that he would have told me with has evolved. He said to me, Broadly promised me one thing. When you're going on your professional journey, have the best filter out of anyone you know. And what he meant was 
you're going to get a lot of input from loads of different coaches on your journey. And particularly now with the franchise world, you're going to go and see, you know, you could have five, six different head coaches in a season. You've got to filter the information you get because everyone's going to give you info. But if you only take sort of 10% on and the real nuggets that work for you, you'll grow as a player very quickly. If you try and make everyone happy, you try and please everyone with the information, you'll, you'll stall as a player because you'll have no actual like super strengths. You'll, you'll have no direction. What it's actually turned into and evolved into is a bit of a social media filter, to be honest. Hmm. You, you know, I, you've got to be able to filter information that comes your way via Instagram, via Twitter. Because if you take that to heart, you've got no chance. No. Because ultimately, it used to be someone would have to come up to you in the street and go, oh, Brody, you're rubbish. Well, it just didn't, you know, that's quite a brave thing to do, isn't yeah. it? Whereas now, you can, every time you open your phone, you've got a direct association to someone who to be honest could be could be sat wherever on the sofa in their pants with beer cans everywhere eating Doritos <laughs> and they're just abusing you and you take and you take that to heart you know mm. so uh, I think I think the filter message came about coaches information and it's now lent into media pressure social media pressure and I, I would say I've, I've got a good bounce back ability in me and I think that's due to being having a great filter on what comes my way I can bounce it off really easily I take nothing to heart you know unless it was unless you were my mate and you were like Brody let's have a beer I need to chat about this this is happening I'll be like I'm sorry I really didn't mean that I'm a bit devastated if someone tweets me that I've never met and know thinking I'm a bad cricketer I couldn't care less Good advice, really good advice. I've enjoyed when you've stepped into commentary, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Is this after you pass Murali and you've got 828 test wickets, Is are we going to be delighted by you in commentary? Is that something you'd, you'd like to do? Because oh, um, you seem very natural at it. I love. I really love it. I mean, ultimately for me, um, I love the game of cricket. I, I love being around it. So as a player, you're so lucky. In, in test matches, you might notice I watch every toss live at the toss mm. I go right up to it because my theory is you can't do that forever as soon as I'm not playing <laughs> I can't get near I can't get that sort of energy around the pitch and um, I think as if you go into sports media I, I actually commentated or I didn't do the sort of full commentary but I did a bit of punchy work on England Australia at Lords in the World Cup back in back in 19 and, <clears throat> and I arrived in the morning and I had that big game buzz and I wasn't playing. I was in smart shoes and chinos. But I was like, wow, like I'm still really excited to be here. And I want, ultimately, I love cricket. And I think being that close to cricket on the punditry side gives you that, gives you that buzz still. So it, it's something that ultimately I, I think I, I really enjoy doing. I don't know what path, that, where it will lead or in, in what time frame. But uh, if you find something you love doing, then that's always a good start. Hey, mate, the fact you've sat and done this, um, Stuart's doing this on the Tuesday before the first Friday Ashes test. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got to go to training now. Pleasure. Um, a lot of people will listen to this around the world, but in England as well, where they already love you, I hope a lot of Australians understand what a fine man you are as well as a wonderful cricketer, but just a good bloke. Mate, you get so many wickets in the Ashes um, and it just be a fantastic series that keeps us up all night here and makes England fall in love with Test Cricket again because we love what England are doing, mate. Thanks for joining me on the show and good luck. I hope you smash it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Stuart Broad.
made my day when he agreed to come on the podcast. Hope you loved it as much as I did. Thanks to Brody for chatting and you legends for listening, opening your minds and listening. Until next week, with Joel Selwood, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try.